man. There's a beverage here, huh? Does anybody here know how many times I've had to watch Funny Lady? I'm gonna get that gun of mine, and I'm gonna change you from a rooster to a hen with one shot. How's everybody doing? Welcome to another episode of Who Shot Ya? It's your boy, Ify Wadi Way, and I'm in the booth with my friends. Some close friends, too. Can't wait to introduce you to them all. But first up, we're going to introduce one. And the first one we will introduce is the first one we always introduce. And that is Alonzo Duralde. Alonzo, what's good? Oh, uh, well, you know, Ify, as you well know, as I have been trying to indoctrinate you the best I can for these past few years, I'm a big fan of physical media. Uh, barring that, I will send people to a streaming service where at least like a movie has been or a TV show has been licensed. And so I know that the copyright holder is, you know, getting some kind of kickback, however infinitesimal that might be. But sometimes when a piece of media is not being made available on physical media or via legit streaming and it's on YouTube, then I got to say, hey, go to YouTube and see this thing. And that is the case with uh, the brave and conscientious and hero soul, frankly, who put all of the seasons of Whatever Martha on YouTube. Whatever Martha is a show uh, that was hosted by Martha Stewart's daughter uh, and, uh, and Jennifer Hutt, the comedian. And basically, uh, they would go through and uh, look at old Martha Stewart clips from like the late 80s, early 90s, and just goof on them mercilessly. And Alexa Stewart has inherited her mother's zero F's tongue. And Jennifer Hutt sort of speaks for regular humanity, those of us who don't make our own marshmallows, uh, unlike Martha and Alexis, because the, 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 the apple does not far, fall far from the artisanal tree, let me tell you. Anyway, Whatever Martha was a hilarious show. It was, it was taken from us far too quickly. But uh, I'm so glad that even though they've never released a DVD and it's not streaming on any of Martha's official channels, you can watch them on YouTube. They are hilarious. I highly recommend them wherever you fall on the Martha Stewart spectrum. If you love her, if you loathe her, if you make your own Thanksgiving centerpieces or you can't believe that anyone does, you will find this show hilarious. Mm. I concur. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I like I like the I like the tastiness, uh, the tastiness of uh, that one, which is my way of saying I haven't watched it yet. <laughs> <laughs> Drea. It is time for me to introduce you. <laughs> What's good? Um, first, I know that Alonzo always gets to go first so that I have the opportunity to butt in or um, <laughs> express my thoughts on his good thing. Uh, so I'm fine with the order. Um, I do. I think what's good is if for anyone listening, we're recording this on Wednesday, the day after the election, and we are still in a point of unknowingness. And um, I think that's just good to know in general, because it speaks to many of our um, head spaces right now. So if you're listening, we are in the bubble of not knowing, um, feeling hopeful, um, hoping that uh, the the order of things and the counting of things will will go the way they seem to be right now. But that's related to my what's good. There's so many mechanisms behind elections. And I think the health of elections is so key to any society. And so I would like to give it up to my friends who worked as poll workers. Aaron Hayes, who is one of our um, 
our guests on our clueless episode. She did an entire week of working the polls in working the polls, y'all, in <laughs> Los Angeles. And my sweet, sweet friend Davy Mayer has been, they call them, oh, like election investigators. No, they don't call them poll Observers. workers. In Something like that. He's he's in Wisconsin. He's been working the polls in Madison, Wisconsin for years and years. He's in fact, he runs an entire ward at this point. And he does every election inspectors. And he does every single election, tiny baby local ones, whatever. So I give it up for them and for my sweet, sweet states of Minnesota and Wisconsin. Thank you. So yeah, those are... Those are the good things that I'm clinging to in our bubble of unknowingness. Oh, you know, you truly love to see it or hear it, I guess. We're hearing it. We, don't <laughs> we see only it. hear things. <laughs> yeah. All I don't right. leave my house. What am I going to see? We have one more friend to introduce. They're a TV critic at The Hollywood Reporter. It's Ingu Kang. What's good? Woohoo! So you guys might be shocked, shocked to learn <laughs> that one of my favorite podcasts right now is called You're Wrong About. And basically, <laughs> it's this uh, sort of like quasi-historical podcast that goes back and covers media or tabloid figures and basically talks about what we got wrong about them and what are the sort of real lessons we should draw about them. Um, I think my two favorite series because often they will do sort of like four episode or I don't know sometimes like 10 episode uh series uh like on specific people uh I think like the one I would say start with is about Jessica Simpson they just go through her memoir I never knew Jessica Simpson was interesting and they really convinced me of this. And I think my personal favorite, although it's very hard to listen to, is their coverage of the DC snipers, which I also sort of knew very much nothing about. Um, and now seeing it from the hindsight of 2020, like, wow. However, the thing that like is really getting me going right now is they are currently doing a uh, they are currently doing a series on Princess Diana, who I never thought was an interesting person. And boy, was I wrong. And their coverage is so good. I actually went back and read like the 600 page Tina Brown biography wow. because they made me so interested in this lady. And there is like something, and I think there's something sort of like generally kind of embarrassing about American Anglophilia. Like, we got rid of those losers for a reason. Like, why are you trying to get back over there? And so I really love the fact that they are making me interested in something that I thought I could never be interested in. Yeah. Ingo King signing up for rich white lady is like <laughs> a lot. That's some heavy lifting. The, the next time somebody throws a subject at me that I'm not familiar with, I will totally be borrowing. Uh, I know very much nothing about that. That was a great one. I <laughs> applaud that as well. Yeah. I, I will give you one tiny tidbit. Apparently, and there is an eyewitness to this, in her 30s, Princess Diana pushed her elderly mother-in-law, or I guess, sorry, pushed her elderly stepmother down a flight of stairs. Oh, yeah. I can see where wow. that would hook you in. Specifically you. Yeah. I, I, I like this. I like the story where they put her in drag and she went to a gay club. I definitely what? heard that. <laughs> 
I have maybe, very maybe much that's heard that. in a later that. episode, Ingo. I don't <laughs> yeah. know. Mm. Sorry for the spoiler. Um, yeah. Hey, Iffy, what's good with you? Oh, damn it. Oh, what's ah, good with ah. me? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going I'm to drop this knowledge for folks who may not uh, follow me on Twitter. Is every election I get to, uh, you know, feel superior to most people by knowing how the inner workings of an election works. Because I used to cash in on overtime <laughs> counting ballots. And what we're seeing at the point of this recording is a lot of Republicans are freaking out and finding it weird that all of a sudden we're counting these mail-in ballots. And uh, just wanted to do a quick explainer of what's going on, why it isn't weird, and why it's happened every single election from uh, probably the beginning of time. I don't know. Uh, but basically what happens is normally uh, the margin is so wide for an election that mathematically there's no way that the other candidate could win. So the news and reporters announce that the candidate has won the state. However, even after the state is won, if that happens, those ballots are still counted. Your vote still counts, mostly because also there's a bunch of props and other things you're voting on. So we can't just be like, oh, the president won, we're done. So uh, so what's happening now is the margins we're seeing are so close that we can't just uh, call it as early as we normally would. And all these mail-in ballots are more important than they ever been, you know, kind of how they've been telling you all these months leading up to now. Uh, so yeah, nothing crazy is going on. You can call your aunts, uncles, boyfriends, what have yous, and let them know that this is something that has happened all the time. Uh, it's just uh, more important now because it's so close. I know it is crazy that it's close, but I don't have any answers for that question. I can't wait to tell all my boyfriends this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited for us to turn Iffy's um, ballot counting spiel into a schoolhouse rock style song. There we go. <laughs> I want I want a ballot counting song. And a lot jingle. of Republican state legislatures apparently have made it so where they can't even start counting mail yes. ballots until election day, yes. which just further confuses this whole. That's thing, a whole but, other thing. A lot of yeah. work put went into making sure they could not vote or count until the day of, and yes. now they're complaining about for moments how, like this. Yeah, well, it was intentionally done. Yeah, yeah. Way to mm. go, assholes. <laughs> anyway let's talk movies yes Woo. let's do it once again dre keeping me on task while i sit <laughs> in my existential dread uh <laughs> today we're discussing a movie called bad hair and of course christmas zaddy christmas movie minute is back baby that's a step back so i can yell at the top of my lungs and my neighbors are wondering what's going on and of course we have some staff picks and <laughs> once again i don't know i'm curious to see what people will think of this week's but first it's time for our new segment Editing, short for Is This Important? Do I Care? Each of us will read a new segment and answer the question, Is This Important? Do I Care? And kicking things off is my boy Boyega. John Boyega's issues with Star Wars have long been documented. Attacks from a bunch of weirdos online. And one of the prominent issues that came from starring in the new Star Wars trilogy was the enormous wave of bigoted language and harassment directed at John Boyega, Kelly Marie Tran, and other people of color featured in the series. In a recent interview, with Variety, Boyega shared his thoughts on how major studios can protect actors of color from online backlash in the future. And he said, and quote, 
when one of your actors, especially an actor that's so prominent in the story is announced as part of your franchise and then it gets a big racial backlash and receives abuse online that starts to form a shadow on what is supposed to be an amazing gift, it is important for the studios to definitely lend their voice, lend their support to that and to have a sense of solidarity, not just in the public eye, but on the ground on set. He also said, next time you cast someone in that position, you bring them through the process. They need that support. They can't get Boyega. Is this important? Do you care? Uh, oh, man, this is going to be one of the ones where Ooh, I cheat. Are you about to answer your own question? Yeah. Mm. Yes. <laughs> I do, because I will say, speaking of Boyega, to see this happen to John Boyega and then to see all of the Avengers cast rush to protect Chris Pratt mm. for being oh rightfully called out. Mm. It's like, oh, so people and actors do know that you can support your cast when they're getting going through online backlash, but we only do it when they're called out for anti-LGBTQ track records. I would also point out that uh, Ahmed Best, who played Jar Jar Binks, was kind of a pioneer in this one. Mm, he, yes, sir. Uh, a whole generation earlier took a lot of shit uh, from, from Star Wars fans lovely lovely star wars fans online uh and you know it is that thing where yes as somebody's going to point out jake lloyd also got hounded off the internet and he's a white kid but you know when you are uh an actor of color in these movies they can decide to shit on you for whatever reason and then they'll just throw in a few epithets for good measure because you are an actor of color and isn't that great jar jar or i mean Ahmed best was a, a example of I mean, even though he was, his character was heavily um, disguised, was an alien form, there was also such a um, racial quality. He had this heavy, like, Bahamas accent, like a patois, that to me felt very gross and how that was dissected. I'll say on a larger institutional level, I do know that studios and networks are putting place mechanisms to look out for these things on a much more... Um, oh, what's Granular? the word? Holistic level. So there's, I know that they are actively seeking and hiring and have created new executive positions at several um, studios and networks whose entire job, it's in line, you know, a lot of them already have their sort of diversity and inclusion roles, but the, the new positions are to be looking at representation in a more cohesive way, that it spreads through um, marketing, through how they're messaging things so that they can have a message to get on board to be tracking things like this, that's looking at the scripts, that's looking at the talent that's coming in, um, in front of and behind camera, that's also looking at admin positions. So I know that there's things in place or that they're trying to get in place. And it's, it's you know, to be cynical, of course, there's, I'm sure... A lot of it is more about the like covering their tracks than anything else. But at the end of the day, if someone's due diligence is going to be getting a better handle on these things, um, because, you know, you can't you can't get a cast to stand up for somebody. And Brie Larson, you know, she faced a lot when she oh, was yeah. as oh, uh, yeah. Captain Marvel. And certainly a lot of people came to her stand, you know, her. What am I looking for? Defense. You guys. Thank you. Did I mention it's the day after the election? It's like, what are words even? Anyway, so there's been things of this and you watched a lot of her cast and other actors jumped on that. Um, so there is some of it. You can't handle all of it. But I do hope that on an institutional level that some some uh, 
genuine change happens. I think it's good that the studios are getting in on this, but I also feel like we are letting the tech platforms off too easy. Ooh, like if it's yeah. harassment, it's happening on Instagram. If it's happening somewhere, it's happening on Twitter. Yes. So I think it's really good that the studios are doing their part, but I ultimately don't think it's like, it's the yeah. tech platforms are enabling this abuse. A hundred percent. Yes. And to be clear, hashtag not all Star Wars fans. I'm not saying that every everybody's out <laughs> I there. Am. Come at me. Participating in this, in, per, but yeah. some of you are. You can find Alonzo at a Geraldo. Oh no 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 no! no. <laughs> That's Iffy's battle, not yeah, mine. Yeah yeah Come through. Yes. Okay. Well, flashing back to more pre-internet time, my time. When the band NSYNC ruled the world, they're going to rule the world again because Rachel Bloom is making a movie about two NSYNC superfans. It was announced in Variety this week that uh, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend star creator Rachel Bloom is writing a movie about real-life best friends, NSYNC fanatics, Meredith Sandberg and Winter Byington. The movie is based on the true story of how these two friends won an RV on The Price is Right, true story, and used it to follow NSYNC around on their final tour in 2001. The pair went to 38 concerts in one summer, even got a $5,000 donation from the band themselves to finance their journey. If that's not enough, Lance Bass himself is producing the movie. Is this important? Do you care? Justice for JC Chazes. Had the most talent. Always had the most talent. That's the part I care about. I hope someone touches on that. <laughs> I don't know if I care per se, but this sounds like a very cute project. I think we need more female road trip stories. And also, the only reason why I am very excited about this is because my personal favorite song from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend is a boy band made of four Joshes, which I think is a <laughs> perfect uh, song. It's basically like a song about like how all of these band members are going to basically cure all of the emotional issues that one of their fans has, played by Rachel Bloom. And so based on that three-minute song alone, Good. Um, I am into this. You would also have greenlit her. Good. I would be more excited about this if Justin Timberlake weren't a garbage person who was constantly single-handedly torpedoing any notion of an in-sync reunion. But uh, the last thing that Lance Bass produced, which is really good, and I highly recommend that you check it out, also on YouTube, but that's actually where it lives, is a documentary called The Boy Band Con, uh, The Lou Perlman Story, which is basically all about their nightmare agent producer and oh, how he totally stole all their money. Uh, it's really a, a fascinating look. And they talked to uh, other people involved in the band. They talked to Nikki Deloach, who was part of the girl group that Perlman was trying to push. I forget now their name. Uh, anyway, uh, that that is fascinating. I'm sure this movie isn't going to get into that weirdness. But, uh, you know, that the boy band fandom of the late 90s, early 2000s is a fascinating, like, pre-9-11 phenomenon. And I look forward to seeing that in a period piece. Oh, a period piece. Jesus. <laughs> oh, what are you talking about? It's basically still 2000. Oh. Sure, Grandma. <laughs> yeah, I know. This, 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 yeah, this is going to, you know. I can't talk because I just had the wind knocked out of me. <laughs> Please, what I've been thinking for about, you know, how they've been destroying uh, public education for the last 40 years, I was like, for the last 20, no, 40, sorry, years, because I thought it was 2000 <laughs> also. 
Yes. I'm psyched but, about this movie. Yeah. I hope too. we talk about it someday. Oh, well, we I will. Uh, count on know. it. Uh, what we will maybe not be talking about because it's technically a TV show. and Or is it a film? I don't even know. It's Netflix. So who who the heck knows anything? Yeah, who knows? Uh, it was announced this past week that Aquafina and Sandra Oh have been cast in an upcoming Netflix comedy. Despite their 17-year age gap, the two actresses will be playing sisters. Uh, the movie, okay, so it is a movie, uh, will be written by Jen D'Angelo, who is also writing the upcoming Hocus Pocus sequel for Disney+. Plus. Is this important? Do you care? This has to be written by a white person to say, despite their 17 age gap, as if, you know, these aren't Hall of Fame, uh, you know, uh, races that do not age. Black people, Asian <laughs> people, everyone except white people. Like, yeah, of course. Yeah, duh. I think it's less the fact that they don't look believably like sisters, because I think they do. I think it's no, more No, they don't look anything alike. <laughs> You just did a white, so. Straya. You just did a white. No, I think, I think they look as much like sisters as I look like my sister. Like, mm. I think there's discernible things and a lot of it's in mannerisms. Uh, maybe it's just I don't look as much like my sister as I'd like to, Ingu. But I, I think the, the bigger thing that's come up with this age gap has been the idea of this is a this is a fun concept. I love both of these talents. I'm excited to see this. But... The fact that there's not more recognizable comedic Asian actresses that might have the star power to generate the green light for this that are perhaps closer in age is more the standout to me, less than do I buy these two as sisters. Ingu doesn't. I just want to throw out that. And Vera, I'm going to defer to her. Vera Farmiga and Tessa Farmiga are sisters and they're True. 21 years apart. So they've actually played mother and daughter on screen. <laughs> <laughs> I will say this. I feel like this has been a year in which there have been a lot of uh, Asian-faced like works written and made by white people that have been pretty bad. I think number one case being Mulan. And so I really hope that they at least, if they already have this like white screenwriter, I hope they at least get like an Asian American director or something because yeah. I am so tired of watching these like, I think Netflix has done like a very interesting job of bringing in uh, Asian American talent, but they don't really get to be played, it seems to me, uh, roles that are written by Asian Americans. And so I really wish we could see more of that. I 100% agree. I'm excited to see the directing choice. Speaking of Aquafina, where are our Crazy Rich Asian sequels? Ooh. Like, there's two more books, and that movie was a hit. I don't get they what we're been, sleeping they've on. They've been tied up trying to... That was the whole thing. Adele Lim got, like, cut out of that, and they wouldn't meet her quote. And um. they were trying to keep the writing. She was the Asian... American writer on that. So anyway. Funny how when you have one of those, you get a better project. <laughs> well, you know, speaking of breaks in age, we're going to take a break. But when we come back, we'll be talking about bad hair just as soon as we hear from another show from Maximum Fun. That was probably my best one. The Beef and Dairy Network is a multi-award-winning comedy podcast here on Maximum Fun, and I would recommend you listen to it. But don't just take it from me. 
What do the listeners have to say? I would rather stick a corkscrew inside my ear, twist it around and pull out my ear canal like a cork than listen to your stupid podcast ever again. Please stop contacting me. Hell would freeze over before I recommended this podcast, The Beef and Dairy Network, to anyone. Not in a million years. Actually, scratch that. Um, make it a billion years. No, how long's infinity? That's the Beef and Dairy Network podcast, available at MaximumFun.org and at all good and some bad podcast platforms. Disgusting. Welcome back to Who Shot You? I'm your host, Ifuadiwe. In the studio with me are... Drea Clark. Ingu Kang. Alonzo Duralde. And today we're talking about bad hair. Drea, would you mind providing us with a synopsis? All right. Bad hair takes place in 1989... A period piece. <laughs> and we are following a young woman named Anna who's been working at a network called Culture for the last four years. Culture is a music, music video channel network um, akin to the origins of BET. Some some could say there's a comparison to be made there. Ooh. It's a, a station featuring black music artists. And Anna's dream is to be on screen talent. Um, and she is hoping that that will be realized as a regime change is happening. And of course, this black entertainment music channel is bringing in um, a voice like James Vanderbeek to now oversee <laughs> things. So with him comes Vanessa Williams as an executive. And while there's a lot of opportunities opened for Anna, it is suggested to her that her appearance is not quite what they're looking for. And so by um, a recommendation of Vanessa Williams, she ends up at a hair salon uh, run by Laverne Cox in the worst unflattering makeup I've ever seen. I felt so bad. She's a beautiful woman. And she is, Anna is fitted with a weave. And then you guys, that's where the hijinks truly come in because the weave is sort of possessed or is just a demon entity in itself and is out for blood, literally. And it uh, gets bigger and bigger. And um, as her star rises, her wig gains, or no, her weave gains more power. Okay, and this movie was written and directed by Justin Simeon, who people might know from his feature Dear White People, which was then turned into a television show called Dear White People. And um, yeah, bad hair. It's like if Audrey too were a hair accessory. I'm so glad <laughs> we're going to be discussing this as three non-black people and yeah. iffy. You know, look, it's, it's, <laughs> it's what I like to call every writer's room I've been in always. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it, it's, it's, it was interesting because it felt like uh, Justin was getting into his like Jordan Peele you know, shoes. Like, like, well, let's, let's, you know, let's, let's flip, make a horror out of this. Very I had, I had not thought about the us connection in terms of the, 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 it being set in, in the eighties, but mm -hmm. it, it kind of, and again, people who, and I know there are folks out there who are not fans of the film. I've read some really blistering reviews, although I, I very much liked it. Uh, I was kind of reminded of Todd Haynes in terms of the way that Haynes is obsessed with like, you see his, the fifties in far from heaven and the sixties and I'm not there. And the, the seventies in velvet goldmine, this to me felt like Justin Simeon digging into his own sort of childhood obsessions with late eighties, new Jack music, oh, with yeah. the fashions of that period. And, and I, you know, 
I'm not saying he's Todd Haynes yet, but I think that there, there, this is an interesting glimpse into a filmmaker's obsessions. And, and I think in the service of the kind of satire that he's already demonstrated that he's interested in doing via both iterations of your white people. I love that. Yeah. Bringing up, this is a film, you know, we see a lot of things that are based in certain times of history and then there's just a small nod to it or like just the clothes, the music in this shines. There's also Kelly, oh, yes. oh, Kelly, yeah. Kelly Rollins plays mm. a Janet Jackson style character. Mm, and right. I was like, Oh yes. Those pleated pants like it's this very specific basically every single thing that every woman wears is remarkably unflattering but <laughs> you big, know that the big check oh they love it so much so yeah this the style of it but the music made me super happy um alonzo loves he's introduced everyone who's listened to our show to the idea of needle drops and there are some <laughs> wonderful needle drops in this film um and a nice like the kelly Rollins character has a like a fake song, or I guess it's a real song they presumably made for this. I Sorry, so, songwriter. Yeah. It's not <laughs> fake. Your music counts. <laughs> I, I also like the the uh, the Queen Latifah vibes they were given to Lena Waithe. I was like, they really, they really were like, okay, we're going to have you do all very, the Queen Latifah She's looks. very U-N-I-T-Y. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so or, or Queen Latifah in House Party 2. <laughs> also, we yes. got to talk about the fact that this music, uh, this, 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 this music, uh, I guess these this network takes place at Max Fun HQ. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> the American Cement Building. I was like, yeah. I've been there. Yeah, I was like, huh, this seems real familiar. Okay, I did not even recognize that. Oh it was God. also it, it was it also turned up as like a political uh, headquarters on the the new um, L word on Showtime. Ooh, Everybody oh loves the, the, the American Cement Building. Yeah, it's got that great. Uh, oh, uh, R.I.P. I miss that building. Um, <laughs> One day, maybe yeah. we'll get to go back in. Yeah. It. Do I have to be like the water pour on top of like this discussion that is the weave? Yeah, be the water pour on our freshly pressed takes. <laughs> My tea is that holy shit? Why is like every single aspect of this movie so half thought through? Like. <laughs> At first, I was so excited about 1989 yeah. L.A. because I was in L.A. in 1989, but I was also like a kid and I wanted sort of like this sense of like what I had missed out on, you know, when I was like five or whatever. I grew up so close to that Max Fun building and I just like really wanted like a greater sense of just L.A. or... 80s fashion or even just the hair this movie is about hair and yet all of the hair looks so disappointing especially for a movie set in the 80s are you kidding me oh yeah i also like as like the <laughs> hair gets like more and more crazy and or evil like the hair does like all of these like crazy special effects and like the special effects look so dumb and so terrible and this and I understand that movies have budgets, but I'm just like, this is this is like not the visually interesting movie that it should have been based on the premise. And the other thing that I found really disappointing is that as we've mentioned, this movie is part of this like rena renaissance of black horror, right? And the idea of melt and the idea of taking like the genre of body horror and appropriating it for 
something that black women go through, I think is such a smart idea. And the execution of it bums me out so much. And I think a lot of it is because Justin Simeon is just this guy who's always brimming with ideas and images. And he hasn't figured out a way to sort of put them in like a way that feels cohesive and coherent. I think there's so much of this movie that's about all of these, t um, all of this torture essentially that black women put upon themselves uh, in order to have quote unquote good hair. But then it turns out that like black women might also be like the perpetrators, but like right. not in like a way that was like, actually politically deft in any way and so I was like what are, are like are you saying anything other than sort of like the most surface level like is it, as you're building out this mythology are you aiming at like a larger critique or in my opinion like it gives you this like surface level political critique and then as the movie goes along it kind of like drops all of that or makes it more incoherent yeah I had mm. the same issues with it that that I felt that there was so much potential for metaphor here, also yes. for fun. I yes. thought it lacked in fun in any way for and a movie energy. that's about killer hair. Yep. Um, but be it's because it, it's like it was always trying to center itself back on some sort of premise or messaging, but the messaging was so consistently messy that that didn't pan out. And then also, like, if you tried to draw a line of the mythology of what this hair was, what it was representing, what it was driven by, what it was trying to, you couldn't. And I don't need that, except for this is a movie that's trying to tell me that it has a message. So if your whole point is that you're trying to teach me something, then I kind of need you to be able to connect those dots. Yeah, I, I yeah, for me, there, there are a few things that kind of, I kind of like, Russell's my jimmies, I guess I'll say. I was looking for what the right mean? euphemism. Russell my jimmies. Uh, one, yep. I the, there was this like you know light, uh, you know light skin versus dark skin thing that I think still in the end demonized like light skin people. Which you know this is coming from like a light skin uh, uh, person. I, I just feel like you know like it never felt worth it <laughs> like to, to be like these are the ones when really well, the 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 concept and the idea of it is the uh is the kind of white supremacy making us try and lean into these you know white hairstyles <laughs> and, and it felt like it was like no this is a light skin idea and then also there was this like like the kind of exposition moment with the dad who was kind of like very hotepy and he was like talking about that that just came on just a little too heavy <laughs> just a little too heavy for me you mean the dad who was wearing a dashiki <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It almost felt Which like... Which Blair Underwood can pull off. Thank oh, you very yeah. much. I oh, wish yeah. I he mean, would I pull that off. Blair was looking real <laughs> snackish. I, I, I will say on, on the horny committee says Blair was looking snackish. <laughs> performance was solid. That's the thing. And that's what's always funny in things like this, where you're like, the performance is good, but what I'm getting from it, I do not like. Uh, and that's what I felt. Uh, so, so wait, you, you think this movie more pins this on light-skinned black people than on, like, James Vanderbeek, who is clearly presented as the devil from top to well, tail it, well it, if, if if he's the devil then uh he the light-skinned people are like the assistants where we're like we're we're doing this and, and like they're they're like 
I guess, you know, Lena is, is light-skinned, but it just felt like we kind of used, like, I got the idea that Justin was going for, which is this eternal light-skinned versus dark-skinned argument that we always play with on Twitter, in movies, but it just seemed like it just kind of sat there and just made one person the bad guy instead of being bat back and forth, which is, I think, the fun of when we play with those things. Mm. Uh, when I think when you end, when it seems like there's just one side afflicting the other, it's kind of like okay it, it worked for me i'm not I mean this isn't a perfect movie but i i think it's very funny and i think that it i i, I don't like it's sort of like when i was talking recently about the craft legacy it's like i wouldn't call it a horror movie per se but on other levels i enjoyed it like i like the craft legacy as a smart high school movie i like this as this sort of satirical period piece and obviously i'm not qualified to speak firsthand about the issues facing black women and the beauty standards that have been you know imposed upon them or or that they've chosen for themselves or whatever uh but i thought it was an interesting topic to tackle and i felt like i got something out of it but you know these aren't things that i've that i have to live with on a day-to-day basis so you know what do i know hey should we vote (laughs) (laughs) it's time to make our voice heard as we vote on this movie i will count the ballots and say that we all love it (laughs) (laughs) so lonzo's the republican among us yes so for our final review of bad hair would you screen it stream it or skip it let's start with our wonderful illustrious guest ingu gang I would say skip it. I don't think there's anything that you're going to watch here that you're not going to get from anywhere else. That's how you do a succinct wrap up. Yeah, that is. I don't have that in me. I can yeah. I can feel Casey smiling from here. Yes. <laughs> He's like, "Oh, well these dingbats learn from Ingu." <laughs> um, I'll go. I'm also a skip it. I it's unfortunate though oh, it's like the thing that keeps coming to mind is the voting with your uh dollars or your views and to that extent i suggest you check out dear white people and support justin simeon i hope he keeps creating things i do agree with ingu that he's chock full of ideas and there's so much going on there and i really hope to see them refine as he grows as an artist and uh support him how you can this movie was not, it did not gel for me. It was not, it was not fun. I, I, I'm saying screen it. I, I really did. I was entertained by it. I didn't think it was funny. I mean, I am kind of in the tank for Justin. I, I have known him for a long time, but like, you know, my, my policy is if I, if a friend of mine makes a movie and I don't like it, I don't talk about it. Oh. So, you know, the fact that I am being public about this movie means that I like it and would really endorse it. If I didn't, I wouldn't, I would just stay mum i think there's a lot that works here i think there's a lot of ideas you're right maybe more ideas than he necessarily can corral but i think that you know uh, i i think he's a really promising filmmaker and i think for a sophomore effort you know he he's continuing on a path that is really interesting and i i want to see where it all goes yeah yeah uh you know uh this that that review also makes alonzo's silence on spinners the film featuring me and timothy chalamet <laughs> deafening. Uh, but i will say i i, I i'm gonna be the media here as i always say i think all movies should be seen always uh but also i think this is the the I, something that someone said that I was like okay uh, I I rock I rock with that was there like it seems like a satire on a B movie that's trying to say something but in the end it's still at least going to be this B movie and I think that's true I think you might find something in it you like or you might not but I uh, for that reason I say stream it which 
low-key is all you can do yeah. but also i it's feel like Hulu. the the design of it it might be worth uh if you see like a drive-in get in there uh get some popcorn at, we'll see at the risk of pissing off casey I just want to say one thing, which is, <laughs> which is that I'm really glad that we live in a year, maybe, hopefully a couple of years, where black horror is enough of a thing as a subgenre yes. that I can confidently uh-huh. say, if you want, if this is the kind of thing that you're looking for, there are other options. So you can go somewhere else. And I can say... I really support what Justin Simeon is trying to do, but I feel okay saying pass on this because there's other stuff out there. Yeah, okay, sounds good. Well, let's keep this ball rolling. Uh, Casey just turned on his Zoom call and showed me a Glock, uh, so it means we have to be right back after we hear from another show for Maximum Fun. I started listening to Ono, Ross, and Carrie shortly after I broke my arm. I couldn't get my book started. I was lost, honestly. I knew it was time to make a change. There's something about Ono, Ross, and Carrie that you just can't get anywhere else. They're thought leaders, discoverers, founders. I'd call them heroes. Ross and Carrie don't just report on fringe science, spirituality, and claims of the paranormal. They take part themselves. They show up so you don't have to. But you might find that you want to. Is better. I wrote an entire book this weekend. It, it's terrible, but I did it. Just go to maximumfun.org. Thank, Thank you, Ross, Ross and Carrie. Ona Ross and Carrie is just a podcast. It doesn't do anything. It's just sounds you listen to in your ears. All these people are made up. Goodbye. Welcome back to Who Shot Ya. I'm your host, Ifi Wadiwe, and in the studio with me are Alonzo Duralde, Ingo King, Drea Clark. And it's the first week of November and Alonzo is already in the Christmas spirit. That's right. It's time for another installment of the Christmas Zaddy Christmas Movie Minute. Alonzo Iffy, gets... Iffy, you did that real good. That was so good. Very nice. I know. I was, I was really afraid of how I was going to get November in there, but it worked. Oh, it, it did really not. did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we're ready for this minute of Alonzo discussing every Christmas movie that he saw this past week. So Alonzo, are you ready? Okay, yes, let's do it. Okay, so we start with uh, Up, which gave us a very country Christmas homecoming, which is like the fourth in a series of films that I have not watched. Maybe it would have made it better if I had, but I don't know, kind of boring. Uh, Then over on Lifetime, you know, it's just still pretty mezzo-mezzo over there. Crafty Christmas romance, pretty ridiculous. Um, uh, uh, Sorry, uh, Candy Cane Christmas. I mean, no, not really. Um, Then Hallmark is actually weirdly picking up the pace this year and getting a lot better. On the 12th day of Christmas, uh, sweet and funny and actually making fun of old Hallmark cliche tropes that we all know by heart. So that was pretty groovy. Holly and Ivy uh, flirted with being a total bummer, but they managed to pull it off okay. Cranberry Christmas, not a boy meets girl story about a marriage in trouble. So that was pretty awesome. Uh, And then One Royal Holiday had a bunch of Broadway people in it. It was pretty groovy. I had fun with that. And then finally, over on Netflix, we have Operation Christmas Drop which is as propaganda-ish as most of these movies about the troops are, but this one's at least about a good cause, and the leads are charming, and Virginia Madsen gets to be the mean senator who wants to cancel Christmas. Nice! Whoa, now, is, is 
Operation oh. Christmas Drop, is that in the same world as um, Operation, Operation Dumbo, Dumbo Drop? Drop? Uh, yeah, well, I, Iffy! <laughs> I, I'm sure they wouldn't mind you connecting the two. Uh, Operation Dumbo Drop, I want to say, isn't that set during the Vietnam War? <laughs> this yeah, is a little probably. more. Yeah, yeah, this is more contemporary, but it's the same premise, basically. The, the mean senator wants to shut down a base on Guam, but it turns out that they do this Christmas Drop thing where they uh, bring necessary supplies and, and things to all these surrounding islands in the South Pacific. And then you find out at the end of the movie, it's a real thing and they've been doing it for a long time. And we do it every year now with the with the assistance of uh, Australian and Japanese aircraft as well. Um, and the movie is basically just there to sell you on that. But the, the leads are really charming. I always thought Alexander Ludwig was a nice big tall glass of buttermilk and Madsen is so grinchy. She's a lot of fun. Oh, good. All right. Well, that was amazing as always. And I'm so hyped to keep doing this for quite a few more weeks. So (laughs) y'all be hyped. (laughs) (laughs) But now it's time for staff picks. It could be any movie at all. Ingu, why don't you start? Okay. So as some of you may know, I have started my own podcast called All About Almodovar about the films of Pedro Almodovar. Alonzo will be on it very soon. And wait. <laughs> if you know Amadeo's work at all, I'm sure you've seen Talk to Her. I'm sure you've seen All About My Mother. I'm sure you've seen Volvere. I'm going to recommend a slightly deeper cut. Uh, because one of the things I've really loved about doing this podcast is going back and watching all of these movies that I haven't seen in 10 or 15 years. And it's just been really great to rediscover something that you love. And also on a side note, to somehow realize that like your taste as like a teenager is actually not the worst thing, like 100% of the time. Anyway, the movie I'm going to recommend is Bad Education. It stars Gael Garcia Bernal as a, I would say a trans woman. And it's basically Almodovar's take on the noir film through his like own extremely warped, extremely gorgeous lens. And I don't think it's quite like a perfect movie, but if you are not screaming, what? 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 <laughs> at the screen, like every 30 minutes, you can at me. <laughs> uh, uh, th- this is my Aquafina Sandra O moment for this. Gael Garcia Bernal, who is Mexican, does a really good uh, Castilian accent in this movie. That's the authenticity uh, check that our listeners are hoping for. I would, yeah. I would hope so. Yeah. <laughs> what? All right. <laughs> I'm ready to say what. I'm ready. I have two real brief. um, One, I can't remember if anyone actually said this before. Alonzo definitely mentioned earlier in this podcast. But I finally watched The Craft Legacy, uh, Zoe Lister-Jones' redo, and I freaking loved it. Mm. I loved the original Craft so much. Obviously near and dear to my heart. Uh, just from my the age I am and how much I would have watched it back in the day. The Craft Legacy... Every single time I thought I was about to hit a like red flag or problem point or whatever, they embraced it and turned it. It was such a positive viewing experience that I was not expecting. It had all of this wonderful female friendship and it made me look at like the toxicity of their friendship in the first one in a whole new light. And there's a wonderful arc for the male lead that I did not see coming and that I really appreciated. I 
loved it. I had such a fun time watching it. And then the other thing I want to nod to is a documentary that uh, I showed at Bentonville this year, and it won our audience award called The Donut King by yes. uh, director Alice Gu that I love so much. It is now, go it's available, and it's one of those things, if you look online, you can do sort of virtual streaming from maybe a theater near you. So if you go to the uh, the Donut King website, it'll, it'll point you in the right direction. It's an incredible story about this Cambodian man who moves to Los Angeles, basically revolutionizes the donut industry and is also sponsoring all these refugees. He's living a very, what you would think of as the American dream. Um, and it's, but it has all these wonderful details and characterizations and fascinating insights, historical context. It's, it's just, it's lovely and great and a great human story. And so, yeah, check that out. The donut King. I endorse all of these choices. Uh, I like all, all the movies that are mentioned so far because we haven't gotten to Iffies yet. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> uh, my pick this week is a 1988 movie that has been uh, remastered and is now screening again in virtual cinemas. It's at Film at Lincoln Center and Lemley and some other places if you look for it. Uh, it is from uh, director Belatar and it's called Damnation. Uh, you may recall Belatar is the maker of the seven and a half hour Satan Tango, which I have uh, recommended on the show before. This is the first film that he made uh, in collaboration with the writer of the novel Satan Tango. It's only two hours. What? So, what? If you want just like an amuse-bouche of Velatar's like, you know, long takes and black and white and sad people and rain, this is a really good place to start. Uh, and it really kind of represents this sort of pivot point where he went from making kind of neorealist kitchen sink dramas to the kind of movies that people think about now when they talk about a Velatar movie. Um, it's about a guy who is in love with a uh, married bar singer and uh, the guy manages to get her husband uh, a job uh, as a courier as part of a smuggling thing just to get him out of town for a while so they can continue their incredibly morose affair. Um, and there's a hat check lady who just pops up to tell you about the, the old Testament all the time. It's terrific. I highly recommend it. It's called damnation. Little two hour amuse bouche for you. There you go. Mm. Okay. Iffy. All right. Let me, let me scoot to the edge of my seat. <laughs> Oh, let's get, let's get, let's get it in. Okay, so this is another one of those movies that I, when I was getting the, the data for it, to, to talk about it, didn't realize it wasn't uh, as well received as I received it. But you, you, there will be some information you get leading into it where you're like, oh, okay, I see how this happened and uh, you're doing it again, Ify. So... This uh, this this movie that I sat on the couch and enjoyed my Halloween with with uh, Naomi was directed by Tony Cervone. And I got to say, Scoob was a hit. Scoob. I thought Scoob was good. I thought Scoob was slept on. Uh, but apparently Rotten Tomatoes, Metacritic and IMDb do not agree with me. I thought I thought it was a fresh take, a fresh revival of the series, uh, bringing it into the new era. The references were fun, enough jokes uh, in there to keep me uh, chuckling, you know, uh, while also Naomi really liked the, the goofy dog. She thought it was funny when he tried to talk and when he would eat, uh, you know, large amounts of food. I think, you know, there are some two of her favorite things about you. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like, get I'll it. Kill yeah, I'll Scoob, kill a... Scoob was slept on because it put me to sleep. I don't know. <laughs> oh, wow. It put you to sleep. <laughs> Here's the thing. If no, it, was, up... it wasn't terrible, but it's... And, I, I and if, say... if I had a four-year-old at home, I would you know watch it with them as well. I, I, it was a treat. So if you have a four-year-old, I that that's who the that's who my staff pick is for. That's All good. other adults watch everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> now it's time for five star reviews. If you leave us a five star review, we'll read it on air. I was so hyped to drop Scoob until I saw how it was rated. <laughs> I was like, okay, this is gonna be this is gonna be You're I think fine. I'm- Trust your gut, kid. J and O Sully, ninety six leaves us this review. I'm a delivery driver and a major cinephile, and this show has come to mean so much to me on my drives. I get endless edification and enjoyment out of listening to backlogs of this show. Ify, Alonzo, Drea, and the late, great Ricky (laughs) and April, still alive, in addition to (laughs) guest hosts, of whom Ingu Kang is an undeniable fave. Breathe life and joy into my workday with their educated takes, flawless recommendations. Thank you. Check out Scoob and diverse, <laughs> engaging rapport. This show is a must listen to anyone who enjoys movies, witty banter and quality content. In short, who shot you is always what's good for me. Oh, wow. Well, thank, thank you, Sully. You. And thank nice. you for thank you for being out there and doing the important work. Yeah, I no know. kidding. Thank you. Yeah, truly. And, uh, you know, uh, sorry, <laughs> Christmas is starting up, so I know it's about to get Ooh. tough. Oh, uh, but, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, but uh, yeah, thank you. That's That was a stellar. I give that five-star review five stars, something I think I've said before, but I really mean it now. Probably. Uh, <laughs> sorry to that previous five-star <laughs> review. You can do it more than once. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Starting next and for the rest of November, we are going to be covering the Three Flavors Cornetto Trilogy by Edgar Wright. That means we'll be discussing Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and The World's End. Yep. Ingu, thanks for coming on the show. You're welcome. Anything you'd like to plug? Um, Yes, for once. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I have written an essay for the Criterion Collections version of Parasite. Um, I don't think it's bad. You should consider reading it. <laughs> oh, way to sell yourself. <laughs> Another reason to buy physical media, to have a, a permanent copy of Ingu's essay. Also, the Criterion Blu-ray has that black and white version, which slaps. Nice. Yes. Also, listen to Ingu's Almodovar. You guys know I can't All about do Almodovar podcast. Yes. It's so mm-hmm. good. She's very, very smart. It's a lot of fun. Even no, though we don't always agree. <laughs> <laughs> what? Shocking. Shocking. What? <laughs> what? Dre and Alonzo, thank you for another wonderful show. Is thank there you, anything sir. you would like to shout out before we uh, end this thing? Oh, golly. Uh, just, you know, again, um, uh, the uh, show that I started this summer called A Film and a Movie. We've had a Woo! really amazing run of guests. Uh, this week, we talked to the great Allison Anders about Ooh. her breakthrough film, Gas Food Lodging, and about uh, the inspiration she drew from Vim Vendors' Paris, Texas, a movie on which she worked as a PA. It's a really nice. fun discussion. So if you've never uh, checked out A Film and a Movie, this is a really good place to start. We're at Film and Movie Pod on all the socials. All right. Well... 
If you'd like to support the show, please visit MaximumFun.org forward slash join. If you'd like to purchase a Jumbotron, go to MaximumFun.org forward slash Jumbotron. And it's $100 for a personal message for or $200 for a promotional one. Again, the number for the Who Shot line is WSY 803-1664. If you have a comment or suggestion about this week's show, tweet at us at Who Shot Your Pot. Our Facebook group can be found at www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Who Shot Your Podcast. Or send us an email, an electronic mail at whoshotcha at maximumfun.org. Our producer is Casey O'Brien, the man with the iron fist. And our senior producer is the lovely Laura Swisher. This <laughs> is a production of Maximum Fun. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned, audience supported.